sing as one for this country we're walking on we stand together to protect this land for the future we're hand in hand welcome to another episode of the environmental as anything podcast The Environmental Defender's Office Head of Policy and Law Reform, Rachel Walmsley, writes, In the dying hours of New South Wales Parliamentary Session on Thursday 19th November 2020, the Government attempted to pass a bill through the Upper House to reduce protections for koala habitat under land-clearing laws. The Land Services Amendment Miscellaneous Bill 2020. The bill was purportedly to decouple koala policy requirements from land clearing laws on private rural land and was hastily passed by the lower house in October. On closer examination by the EDO, it became clear that the bill went far beyond simply clarifying application of koala policy and included changes that would, for example, potentially override protections for coastal wetlands and littoral rainforests on rural land allow a new category of clearing in certain environment zones and make changes to the separate framework for private native forest logging. These changes would have impacted koala populations already vulnerable and at risk due to an ongoing habitat loss, climate change and last summer's bushfire catastrophes. A heated debate resulted in the bill being sent to inquiry by one vote due to a brave and principled crossing of the floor by Liberal MP Catherine Cusack a member of the recent parliamentary inquiry into koalas. Ms Cusack, a Northern Rivers local, spoke passionately and eloquently about her reasons for crossing the floor and refusing to support what has widely become known as the Koala Killer Bill. Thank you, Mr Assistant President. A hundred years ago, the New South Wales government supported a thriving primary industry in the name of jobs, property rights, economic growth and revenues to the public purse. The industry operated across all states and involved the slaughter of well over 8 million koalas and the export of their furs, mainly to the United Kingdom. At least 4 million of the koala pelts were sent to the USA and trade only ceased when the American Secretary of Commerce signed an order prohibiting further imports. How embarrassing. The koalas were hunted to functional extinction in South Australia. In Victoria, it's estimated that hunting continued until barely a thousand koalas were left. And the Australian Koala Foundation estimates fewer than 500 were left alive in New South Wales. After that, the slaughter moved north to Queensland where a month long event known as Black August in 1927 saw more than 800,000 koalas killed. We have made so many mistakes. The koala fur traders who profited from their pelts are all dead and gone, but the impacts of what they did are with us today. And one day, all of us here in this chamber will be dead and gone, but the impacts of what we decide today will last forever. And I do not want this government, this parliament, to be remembered for a massive policy error added to the very long list of errors already we have been making for more than a century particularly when everyone from the scientists to the councils to passionate communities are telling us so clearly that this is not what they want. It is safe to say my own North Coast region koala, fragile koala numbers have declined significantly. We know that the region 
already endangered, lost another 71% of our koalas during the black summer fires. And our koalas are in so much trouble. The plight of koalas is really well understood by my community and indeed the whole world who donated tens of millions of dollars, stunning act of generosity, for funds specifically established to help koalas. My community is incredibly distressed by this legislation. I mean, I have not had one person in all of the communication sent to me on this issue, I have not had a single person ask me to vote for this bill. Not one. I, I, I cannot find the constituency for this legislation. I can, all I can find is enormous distress and mistrust. And the minister's second reading speech referring to a promise by the planning minister not to proclaim any more environmental lands was a huge shock to me personally, really hard for me to process as a long-life Liberal. There have been many other events over the years, like the construction of the Pacific Motorway, which have significantly impacted our koalas, in particular the Wardell koala colony, the last healthy community in my own Ballina Shire, which was hit by the rerouting of the Pacific Motorway. <sighs> in order to bypass Wardell and avoid impacting cane farms. This colony inhabits Blackhall Range, which on top of everything else was also burnt during the Black Summer fires. I've really tried through my time in Parliament to assist koalas. I wrote the environment policy for the 2011 election and prioritised a review of the state's koala recovery plan, which was hopelessly out of date, and secured funding through those processes, and, and that was part of our commitment. I did try hard for the Blackhall Range koala community, I lost faith in federal protections in the process, so I'm fully aware there's no federal backstop if this bill passes today. That issue and its outcome has been really significant in how I've arrived at my position today, because all the fine words explaining how much RMS and others care about koalas were for nothing. And so I no longer have any confidence in fine words. I just have to process what is on the table in front of me and I was not party to the processes that brought this bill to the House. I cannot be held accountable, and nor can I have any faith in that process, which has zero to do with protecting koalas. It's to try to patch up a political disagreement, and I would dearly love to see that solved, but it is just too costly if it comes at the expense of koalas. Far too many mistakes have been made already, many buried in regulatory complexity, but the trends, the science, and the outcomes are very clear. We are failing, and this bill cannot possibly assist. It can only make matters worse. And now is not the time to be selling out our koalas. I make a Christmas donation to Lismore Friends of the Koala. Beyond that, I don't think I've achieved anything for them at all. This bill, I admit, brings to the surface many disappointments. I thought there was a lot of hope and promise for the environment nine years ago. But this has brought me to a tipping point because of the reframing of policy that began with catchment management authorities being removed from the environment portfolio and handed to the primary industries minister by former Premier Barry O'Farrell. These disappointments have had to be endured, of course, for the sake of loyalty. But as members are aware, the shock of what happened to the portfolio and the incremental stripping of protections away from environment planning and into a primary industry framework has been very difficult to swallow, particularly since the models that we've been dismantling were set up by the Liberals and Nationals during the Griner years. So actually it's our own good work that we've been undoing. 
There is no question the vision was excellent and reflected, this is of the Griner years, reflect core principles of Liberals and Nationals, holistic landscape management, working cooperatively with invested stakeholders, and by that I mean farmers, forestry, council and communities to improve water quality, educate and fund environmental rehab programs, plan for the future and protect endangered species. The model was taken up across Australia and strengthened during Labor years. But the issues that crept in there concerned land clearing laws and the reform of forestry, which the Carr government funded by destroying the Griner government's $80 million Environment Education Trust Fund, which was another mistake. The conflict between invested stakeholders and government escalated during those Labor years and compliance activities were in desperate need of reform. In fact, I argued in opposition for catchment management authorities who had the knowledge and on-the-ground relationships to undertake some of the regulatory role undertaken by the EPA. Ironically, that idea is embedded in the bill, but with it this fatal difference. The CMAs were all transferred to primary industry portfolio and so the whole context of this regulation is now deeply flawed. These changes have gone far enough and today is the day to say it's enough. I wish to refer briefly to koala plans of management, which is a bit complicated, but suffice to say they are the work of councils and passionate communities that have been prepared at the request of government, but very few of them have actually been approved. Indeed, many have sat in the planning minister's in-tray since 2015 when approvals were put on hold so that the new SEP could be finalised. It's taken five years and finally the SEP is finalised, but this bill now derails the COPEN process by specifying that some can apply and they're listed in the bill to a rural lands, but not the others. And so it's ludicrous to me that this bill defines by name those shires whose plans are preserved. And if you're lucky enough to be on that list, you're in. And then if you're not on that list, it's just bad luck. So councils like Byron and Tweed and Ambucca um, and look, even Campbelltown, I'm told, has had its koala plan of management approved, but it's not on this list in the legislation. I mean, what are we saying to people? It's, I mean, it's just incredible to me that we could be doing this to these communities and these people who've worked so hard and invested so much in a framework that, that has a consensus understanding about what we're trying to achieve. And I just feel just on that one issue alone. Um, it's, and it's something that has is, is really come as a great shock to everybody. Um, and, it's, and it's too much for them to absorb. And so for that reason, this bill has no trust or faith in the community at all. I'm getting assurances, of course, that the bill's not as bad as it looks and that it's going to be amended and improved. But the problem is I have to deal, as I said earlier, with what is on the table before me and the assurances I'm given, I feel it's too much of a risk to rely on assurances because I have done that in the past and I've felt foolish for doing so. Mention has been made of the departure of the bill from the Cabinet decision and I mean I just find that shocking and I feel for my colleagues including ministers who voted for this bill in another place believing incorrectly it had been approved by Cabinet and I truly have not encountered anything so bad in terms of the integrity of processes that all of us have no choice but to trust and rely upon. So my faith in those processes has been shattered. The damage inflicted by the bill is not what you want or intended, but the flawed processes means that is what is being delivered. I believe in my heart I am assisting you by what I'm doing today. The Premier, the Planning Minister and Environment Minister could not have tried harder to ask me to support this bill. And when there is fallout from today, they should not be blamed. 
I hope that we can stop yelling at each other and work like adults with our communities and try to listen to each other and create the consensus where there is currently chaos. I don't think this is a fairy tale. I believe it is achievable. If we can only leave ourselves out of the policy and go with the science and the facts. I will move an amendment to the second reading speech in the earnest belief that a more transparent process will assist the bill and the government, as well as the community, to come together in the great cause of saving our koalas. There is nothing to fear from an all-party inquiry, and there's so much to be gained, particularly in terms of community confidence. I thank the opportunity for the opportunity. I thank the House for the opportunity to place my thoughts on the record. I believe I do need to move the amendment now that the question be amended by omitting be now read a second time and inserting instead be referred to portfolio committee number seven planning and environment for inquiry and report that was the honorable catherine cusack mlc liberal upper house member of the new south wales parliament explaining why she felt compelled to cross the floor and vote against her own government's local land services amendment act the Honourable Mark Pearson, MLC, for the Animal Justice Party, also stood up and spoke eloquently on his reasons for strongly opposing the Koala Killer Bill. Mark Pearson. Thank you, Mr Assistant President. The Local Land Services Amendment Miscellaneous Bill 2020. There are times in my political life when I step back in amazement at the terrible cruelty so casually inflicted upon the animals with whom we share this island con continent. Reading the provisions of the Local Land Services Amendment Bill 2020 and understanding its implication for koalas in particular is one of those occasions. The effect of this bill and the recent changes to the Koala Habitat Protection State Environment Planning Policy 44 Koala SEP combine to have a diabolical impact on the survival of koalas in New South Wales. This is not histrionics, nor is it an overstatement. My concern is shared by every, every reputable conservation and environmental organisation in this country and the world. The ink is barely dry on this House's 12-month inquiry into New South Wales koala populations, which found that koala numbers were down to 15,000 to 20,000 and that koalas were at the risk of extinction by 2050. That is our House's report. Ours. This bill will bring forward that estimated date of extinction. This bill and the revised SEP make an absolute mockery of the government's very recent promises to prevent the extinction of koalas on their watch. Senior ministers such as the Planning Minister Rob Stokes and Minister for the Environment Matt Keane have made very public statements about increasing protections for koalas. Minister Stokes, as recently as the 21st of September, stated that, quote, you can't save the koala and remove koala habitat at the same time, unquote. Minister Keane told the Sun-Herald on July the 26th that, quote, I don't want to see the koala extinct by 2050. I want to see their population doubled by 2050. 
Koalas are the most iconic example of our management, mismanagement of the environment, and we've got to say enough is enough. That isn't the opposition stating that. That isn't the Greens. That isn't the Animal Justice Party. That is the government. Minister Keane is quoted as saying that he will ask the chief scientist to assemble an expert panel to develop a 30-year plan. Yet instead of a properly considered plan made by the environment experts, we have this hastily put together bill that completely abrogates any responsibility that the government owes to the protection of koalas. The only thing missing to finish off koalas is to issue free chainsaws to every landholder and tell them to go for it. I can only conclude that the very public dispute between Premier Berejiklian and the national leader, John Barilaro, was nothing more than an elaborate media stunt. After the summer bushfires killed untold numbers of koalas, my expectation, the AJP expectation, and any reasonable person's expectation was that the Premier Berejiklian would pull out all stops to legislate for greater protections for koalas. But instead, we see the exact opposite. This bill in the new koala SEP gives almost carte blanche to landholders to cut down the ever-diminishing number of koala habitat trees left in New South Wales. It beggars belief that the Berejiklian government can claim that this bill and the new koala SEP somehow manages to, re to reach a balance between the needs of farmers and the needs of koalas. For, for koalas, this bill will deliver the fatal blow. The loss of these limited protections will, it will trigger an existential crisis. Without habitat, koalas cannot survive. My expectation after the drought the fires and the bringing down of the report into the New South Wales koala populations was that our environment minister would pull out all stops to ensure that koalas did not become extinct on his watch. Instead, we have seen the craven capitulation to the New South Wales Farmers Federation, New South Wales Forestry and the wildlife-hating nationals. This bill is the final nail in the coffin for the New South Wales koalas. It is time, after all this time that we have been raping the earth of, of, of Australia for agriculture, industry, mining, forestry, it is time to actually contemplate with giving something back. And this bill does the opposite. So what are the members in this House who are going to vote for this bill, what are you going to say to your grandchildren? What are you going to say to your children? That's how urgent it is. When they ask you, what has happened to all the koalas? Are you going to tell them that you killed them? That you knowingly participated in killing them? The world is watching. I call upon you to cross the floor on this critical issue but also to escape an imploding government, almost exploding government, within which misleading and deceptive conduct has just been exposed by the key minister responsible for scribing this disgusting bill to the House. 
I acknowledge the extraordinary courage and insight that the Honourable Catherine Cusack has brought to this House today. What she has done is an example of the courage and the, the commitment that she is making to the people of New South Wales who have spoken loudly and clearly that we cannot keep going on with bulldozing trees, pulling down their habitat and crushing these animals that are on the brink of extinction. If you don't cross the floor, if you vote for this bill, you will have to answer to your children's and your grandchildren's questions. That was New South Wales Member of the Legislative Council, Mark Pearson, for the Animal Justice Party, calling on members of the New South Wales Upper House to take a principled stand and cross the floor and vote against the koala killer bill. Independent MLC, Justin Field, also stood to speak to lend his voice to the chorus representing the widespread community opposition to this local land services amendment bill. Well, thank you, um, Mr Acting President. I rise to speak in strong opposition to the Local Land Services Amendment Bill uh, here tonight. Make no mistake. Order, order in the uh, far right-hand corner. <laughs> uh, uh, order, Mr Latham. I know you're excited from your speech, but now we've got a new speaker. Please. I mean, if this legislation passes here, it will represent the total capitulation of... Uh, the majority of the Liberal Party, to the tantrums of Deputy Premier John Barillaro and the National Party. Far from being a koala hero that stared down John Barillaro, if this bill becomes law, the Premier will have buckled in the face of that tantrum by a political party that has absolutely no credibility when it comes to natural resource management uh, in this state, never mind our shared natural environment. We've seen the papers. We've seen. We've seen. We've seen the tantrum. We've seen the showdown. We saw the stare down. And we saw the peace deal. The breakdown of the peace deal. And now someone's expected us to believe that the tantrumer in chief, the deputy premier John Barillaro, he stepped in to save the day. We've had the pushback. Now today by the honourable Catherine Cusack, and just uh, about an hour ago, the next the next phase. When, um, when Channel 7 reporter Alex Hart tweeted, it's understood the Nats have called an urgent party room meeting for 6.30pm with their land rights koala bill about to be voted down in the upper house given Liberal Cusack is opposed. When asked what this means, one Nat minister replied, war! I mean, that's the, that's the maturity that we're dealing with here. Uh, it's just become farcical uh, where we are at with this piece of legislation. The reality is that it will strip away significant protections for koalas, for koala habitat. Something that hasn't been covered much today, but I will address in my speech, is the impact that it will have on areas like wetlands and other critically important habitat that is on private land. It will do what the Nationals have always said they want to do. I'm not surprised at all by this move. They don't want anyone other than their minister and their minister's legislation overseeing what happens on private land because they come at this debate from the perspective that rural landholders should have the right to manage their land as they see fit. And I 
I can understand actually how you arrive at that sort of uh, conclusion. But the consequences of that position are now very apparent to us. Why are we having this tension? We're having this tension because we're now hitting natural limits in the environment. Natural limits on the availability of water. Climate change is making the natural limits uh, uh, even more difficult to manage in terms of land use and the farming of our land. And what we've seen as a result of those 2016 reforms, of course, it was, a, it was put in in the Cabinet decision around that, that, yeah, 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 but we've got some concerns about how this might play out on the ground, so we're going to have this trigger. If we get to land clearing rates more than 20,000 hectares in any one year, it's going to trigger a review of the Natural Resources Commission. And when we got the report from the NRC, it said it was out of control. 1,300% increase in approvals, but land clearing itself had escalated beyond the triggers that were expected. Statewide risk to biodiversity was the way the independent natural resource advisor to the government, uh, how it reported on how the biodiversity reforms, as they're so absurdly named, was impacting uh, on rural land. Most of the clearing was described as unexplained. We haven't had an explanation for what that yet right means on the ground. So we didn't strike the balance there. It's getting harder those laws and the approach of this government and their approach that rural landholders should have the right to manage the land as they see fit doesn't work. Of course farmers and landholders should be custodians of their land. They've got an interest in the protection of the environment, but there's just this, there's this idea that's been around for a very, very long time. It's called the tragedy of the commons. And the reality is that we have got a whole heap of rules and regulations that protect landholders from each other because what we do on our land can have an impact on our neighbours. It's the same in my environment where I live in a urban area. There's only there's some things I can't do because of the impact it'll have on my neighbours. And so we've got real we've had this debate in this chamber about floodplain harvesting in the last little while. Um, but imagine if the farm upstream put a new embankment in and diverted all the water coming down the creek into a dam, well, that's not acceptable. So we've got some rules about how we manage our natural resources, because it's a shared resource. We can't pollute the air, because we've all got to breathe the air. So we've got some rules around it, because it's a shared resource. Biodiversity is a shared resource, whether it's on public land or whether it's on private land. The idea that you should have to pay every private landholder to provide a common good well, see where that gets us at the end of the day. That's an absurd notion. It is not unreasonable for us to collectively draw some lines. That's what this parliament is actually for, about how we live in this shared world together in a way that can protect everyone's interest. I agree that these are, import these are, these are important debates. We are going to have disagreements about where that line should be drawn, but that is actually our job and we should do it. I come to this debate as someone not entirely opposed to the broad principle that rural land, and particularly the management of vegetation on rural land, uh, should be managed under the Local uh, Land Services Act and planning instruments like the Koala Habitat SEP be limited in its application to the planning system. I'm actually not opposed to that notion in principle, but there is a grand distrust in the community about the application of the LLS Act. 
and I think we do need to address that. It won't be addressed in this bill tonight. But uh, if people have got concerned about the frustrations expressed on one side of this debate, it's because of a very real experience, having watched this closely, about the, the, the limitations of that approach uh, to protect our shared resource and even to comply with the rules and the laws of the government's own legislation and regulation. But I'm not opposed to it in principle. But I see um, there is an importance to us having these rules to protect our shared resources, air and water and biodiversity, help nature and the natural and complex systems that deliver this. Where we draw those lines is the challenge. Now, I've heard someone uh, say, I've heard no one say, I, I, I mean, and this is raised by nearly everyone who spoke tonight, that, that people don't want to protect koalas. No one wants to kill koalas. Now, I don't think anyone here wants to kill koalas. I don't think anyone on the land wants to kill koalas. I don't use the term koala killer, which has become popular in social media. But I would say to government members, if the result of the legislation that you put to this house is that koala populations further decline, i.e. that koalas die or die out because of loss of habitat, it's a distinction that gets more and more difficult for us to actually draw. I've been frustrated at this debate because of the intensity of um, some that think that the status quo is somehow good for koalas. The reason we're having this debate in such a big way is because we've been losing. The koala inquiry showed that it is not. The current system is failing koalas and other threatened species, and if this becomes law, it will actually be far worse. So I'm hoping that someone in government will listen to the proposal that I'm putting on the table here today, and we can come together and fix that. There seems to be an assumption in this debate that all farmers and rural landholders want to clear their land, uh, turn their forests into logging coops. I mean, that's simply untrue. I know a lot of farmers. I know a lot of rural landholders work with LLS. They take advantage of land care grants. They enter into conservation agreements to protect the environmental values of their land. We could inject more money into the Biodiversity Conservation Trust to ensure that those critical areas of private koala habitat can actually put into protection. There are ways to do this. Um, but don't try and make this a farmer versus greenie argument because that's actually just nonsense on the ground. It's total nonsense. Quickly, I've got 10 seconds left. I just wanted to recognise the contribution of the Honourable Catherine Cusack. I really appreciated her historical understanding of this issue of koalas, the impact we've had over many centuries when it comes to this pop uh, population Mr. in a very principled position. Order. That was Independent New South Wales MLC, Justin Field. After the koala killing bill was defeated in the Upper House, the chair of the koala inquiry, Kate Fairman of the Greens, was ebullient. She gave this statement of thanks to the people who had supported the campaign and hope for the future of our koala populations. Yes! Yay! We did it, everybody. Unbelievable, or actually quite believable because koalas don't mess with koalas. So the National Party's koala killing bill has been referred, I call it booted off to planet Venus uh, because it is not going to come before the upper house again. Kudos to Catherine Cusack, actually cheers to Catherine Cusack, Liberal Party member and a member of the Koala Inquiry who saw the scientists crying about the impact of the bushfires on koalas, about the impact of climate change, about the fact that if we do not stop destruction of koala habitat, they are going to become extinct before 2050. She got it. 
the decisions we make in this parliament are going to make the difference, be the difference as to whether we have koalas in 2050 and beyond or not. Catherine Cusack, Liberal Party member, got it. She crossed the floor. Cheers to Catherine. Cheers to all of you, the more than 10,000 of you actually, who sent emails, who phoned. I heard about Liberal and National Party MPs who were clearing their voicemail uh, boxes, their uh, voice message boxes, whatever, what do they call these days? Anyway, cleared those things from people who were leaving message after message after message after message. Um, and also, as I've told you before, those email, the email server crashed here in Parliament because you sent so many emails. So it was all because of you. If you guys didn't speak out, if you didn't speak up for koalas, and can I do a shout out to people all across the world, fed people saying that they have been staying up at like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. to watch this from the UK, from Germany, from the US, as well as, of course, as well as, of course, New South Wales, right and right across Australia. This is a magnificent moment for koalas. They started the year, of course, we had a horrendous start to the year. So many animals, so many koalas killed. We needed a bit of a leg up, a bit of a win for koalas at the end of 2020, and we just got one. National Party, don't mess with koalas. Gladys, don't go to the next election knowing you're the koala killing premier, because that's not gonna work very well for you. What we've heard, after this, so here's what happens. This bill goes to the inquiry that I chaired, the inquiry that looked into koalas in the first place and that Catherine Cusack is on, goes to that inquiry. We're going to shine a little bit of sunlight onto that bill. We're gonna see what was really in there. We kind of have a pretty good idea and it's shit, it's rubbish, it kills koalas. But hey, we'll look at that bill, look at all the intentions. Sometime next year, maybe even the year after, we might come back and say, nah, not worth, uh, not worth the paper that it is written on. Oh, and by the way, rumor has it tonight, things are going crazy right now. This has caused a huge ruckus in the government. And who would have thought? It's about koalas, people. It's about the government's commitment to protect koalas, to stop them from becoming extinct. It's about actually putting into place the laws that all of you, and not more than all of you, literally the whole country, actually the whole world wants the New South Wales government to do, which is to put in place laws to protect koalas. People can still farm, farmers can still farm, properties can still be developed. We can actually still, you know, maybe get along with life as we know it right now, but at the same time, we can protect that beautiful, critical koala habitat so that our grandkids can see koalas and their grandkids can see koalas because they're pretty bloody special. Cheers to Blinky, all his and her mates, all of you beautiful koalas that survived the fires that are still out there, that everybody loves so much. Oh, and here's, I wore my little 
I wore my little koala badge today that the little girl, I wish I got your name, in the park on the Save Our Koalas Day of Action, gave me the badge and said, I want you to have this brooch. And I said, no, it's your brooch. It's so beautiful. You should keep the brooch. No, I want you to have it because I want, because you're working hard to save koalas. And I said, thank you. Let's call her Becky. Thank you, Becky. Thank you, Becky. I will work hard every day to save koalas for you and your generation so that you can continue to see them in the wild and you'll be able to see them in the wild when you're 70. Today was a big day. It was a really big day. So thank you. Yay, we did it. Please take a moment, everybody. It's been a tough year, an exhausting year, particularly for those of us who love nature and love wildlife and love our koalas. Just take a moment to celebrate tonight. I'll have a drink, you have a drink, or have a cup of tea, whatever it is, and say, well done, rest up, because we've still got a lot to do. Thank you. That was the Greens' Kate Fairman wrapping up an exciting day in which the Berejiklian government's koala killer bill was defeated in the New South Wales Upper House. A proposal to reboot the mothballed Red Bank power station near Singleton with northeast New South Wales forests will make it Australia's most polluting power station and an existential threat to the future of our children and wildlife, according to the Northeast Forest Alliance. Hunter Energy is currently seeking expressions of interest for timber from across northeast New South Wales to fuel their Red Bank power station with plans to restart the facility in mid 2021 fed by native forests to make it one of the world's 10 biggest biomass power plants. Meg Nielsen asked Dylan Pugh of the Northeast Forest Alliance if he considered the Red Bank Power Station reboot proposal to be an existential threat to our forests. Uh, look, it is. It's, um, it's a, an old uh, uh, coal-fired power station that was closed down some time ago in the Hunter Valley near Singleton. And uh, the aim, or what they're intending to do, and they're saying June uh, next year, is to reboot the power station and fire it on our native forests. So their idea is to get, uh, it seems like, about a million tonnes of uh, what they're calling biomass, which is basically forest, mm. uh, from mm. throughout northeast New South Wales. And that, that probably includes as... Uh, as far up as here, and um, and to burn it for uh, electricity, um, and that emits, uh, by my calculations, that they're burning of that million tons uh, emits about 1.8 million tons of carbon. So that's around about one and a half percent of New South Wales annual emissions. Uh, this is in addition, of course, to our annual emissions. And this is all being done in the names of renewable energy. Mm. So the idea is to increase logging intensity in our, in our forests, increase the removal of trees, uh, uh, which takes quite a bit of fuel, then yeah. to truck that all the way down from you know, North Pathcraft and all the way down to Singleton, yeah. which takes a lot more fuel, and then to burn it and uh, release more carbon than coal does into the atmosphere, create more carbon dioxide, yeah. uh, and then pretend it has no effect whatsoever no. on that carbon. And call it renewable. Renewable energy. Yeah, and, and claim the subsidies which are uh, payable to renewable energies. Uh, indeed. Yeah. And so yeah. we're going to be paying to have our forest trashed yeah. and fed into incinerators 
to basically ruin our future, you know? This, yeah. is, this is just madness. See, we're in a climate emergency. We need to actually encourage and, and look, let's, let's pay them if we need to. Pay farmers, landowners to keep their trees standing. Yeah. We need their trees to totally take the agree. carbon we've yeah. already put into the atmosphere, yeah. to take that up, take it out of the atmosphere and yeah. store it in there. In their, in their timber and in, their, in the ground. Uh, and we need that urgently because we're in the climate emergency. We need to uh, dramatically increase the drawdown in carbon from the atmosphere. On Tuesday the 24th of November, there was an international day of action on forest biomass energy. And members of the biomass action group from the Northern Rivers gathered at the Kondong power mill to protest against its consumption of massive piles of wood chips for so-called renewable energy. Shanti Sun from the Biomass Action Group was at the Kondong Mill and she spoke to the assembled crowd there. Hi, we at BAG Biomass Action Group are here today at Kondong where they are burning trees for electricity at the Cape Byron power plant. What we are here to do is to demonstrate along with the rest of the world, including the EU, United States, the whole of Australia, where they're burning forests for electricity. This is the International Day of Action on Forest Biomass Energy. So what we're saying is that we feel very strongly that it's an extremely bad idea, especially in the middle of a climate crisis, an extinction crisis, and we have very little time, if any, left to do anything about it, that they're burning our forests for electricity and giving renewable energy credits for it from our taxpayer dollar. So this plant here would not be able to be functional or profitable if not for the subsidies, which they actually won't divulge to us. Uh, that, I think that speaks volumes. Uh, so this, this is going on here and they also own another plant at Broadwater. They're both 30 megawatt power plants. So we've calculated that they're burning about seven trees per minute. So that's two seconds of a tree going up and, you know, a few seconds of a tree going up in smoke. That was a home uh, habitat. Those forests take 20 or 30 years to recover from the clear felling that's going on, the soils, the water systems, the creek beds. I mean, the creek beds have now been reduced to only five meter buffer zones. So how is that? protecting anything you know the, our most precious resource is actually water it's not i mean burning trees for electricity is just throwing them away and we do not have time for that the dpi and forestry have have slated about 400,000 tons of forest to be burnt in grafton kempsey Bulladula, new power plants not to mention the newly proposed Hunter Energy power plant at Red Bank, where they're going to revive an old, really dirty coal plant and probably say, oh, we're doing a great thing and calling it green and, and applying this scam. It's a total scam because it's a big, fat carbon loophole to this 
151 megawatt power plant that is absolutely going to gobble up the rest of the forest that we have left. So what we're saying is forests are not fuel, forests are home, forests are carbon sequestration, forests are water storage, water creation. If they do that, it's just going to turn into, have you heard of desertification? That is what is going to happen. And so we are trying to push the political will because there's no political will to save forests, clearly. They just want to sell them off for cheap to Boral because they they have contracts with Boral that they keep trying to renew and renew and renew forever contracts. So um, we really need help ramping up the awareness. So spread the word, do a hashtag forest or not fuel poster take a photo of yourself post it everywhere please and just keep talking about it because people aren't aware of this issue and every single person I've ever talked to about it thinks it's a very very bad idea and I'm sure you do too Scott Sledge from the Northern Rivers Guardians also addressed the group of protectors who had assembled at the Condong Mill last Tuesday my name is Scott Sledge. I'm the president of Northern Rivers Guardians, and we are very upset about the continuing burning of forest for electricity. We have been in to talk to the people at the Condong Sugar Mill, and uh, they are friendly enough, but they refuse to give us some vital information about uh, what percentages they use in their, um, in their co-generation burning. And now there is a, just recently announced uh, they, they want to get, and with government support, they, uh, a group is sending out a request for tenders to supply forest so-called waste for up to 400 kilometers to be trucked to the Hunter Valley at Singleton, where they want to reboot the Red Bank um, electricity mill. Now this has been a coal burner that was mothballed and now they've decided that if they can get enough cheap uh, wood they'll convert to burning what they call biomass and uh, well we need more forests we don't need less forests and uh, of course all the we're not the only critters that live on this planet and i think that we need to make a little room for them thank you scott chibo spoke up on the Chibo spoke up on the international perspective on this global trade in fake renewable energy. I'm here to protest against the logging of forest and using it in some way to create electricity. Well I was just lucky one time last year to see a documentary from America where they were logging actually mangroves which are really 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 so important for you know the whole biodiversity etc and they were logging it like hell and then they were shipping it over to Europe because then they get the money from the stupid EU and it's just unbelievable they cashing in by destroying their own environment which can not only happen in uh, America it's happening here right now and we are here at uh, Kondong uh, mill at the mill north of Mavilomba as well as they do at Broadwater where they normally do sugarcane and other biomass but now they started and we found out that they are traveling bringing up that uh, forest from Bellingen area 
to uh, burn it in this furnace to create electricity for a company called Cape Byron Power. And I think that's just outrageous that they are actually getting money from taxpayers' money from our government to destroy our forests for no reason in a country where we have so much sunshine. Lismore Environment Centre's Naomi Shine ably wrapped up the day's speakers with her pithy summary of the issues of biomass and forests. I'm Naomi, I'm at Kondong Mill, which uh, Kate Byron Power is using to burn wood chips for generating electricity. This is not renewable. There's a terrible disease in Europe of converting coal-fired power stations into wood pellet burners and the carbon accounting associated is fraudulent. It is not an okay carbon deal to burn forests for electricity. So we don't want to catch that disease, we don't want to catch the fraudulent accounting, but it's looking, it's looming as a big issue in Australia. No burning trees for electricity, forests are not fuel. Replacing coal with biomass is sheer stupidity, as it is even more polluting, releasing up to 50% more CO2 than coal to generate equivalent amounts of energy, said NEFA spokesperson Susie Russell. Then there's all the CO2 released by machines during logging and hauling the wood from across northeast New South Wales to Singleton. It will be a nightmare for rural communities, with thousands of extra trucks plying narrow rural roads, crossing small deteriorating bridges, passing through peaceful villages and then roaring down the Pacific Highway to Red Bank. This will be subsidised by taxpayers under the pretense that burning trees is renewable energy, as the trees will regrow and decades or centuries later take up the carbon released by burning them. We're in a climate emergency and cannot afford to spew millions of tonnes of additional carbon into the atmosphere at a time when we need to be urgently reducing atmospheric carbon and we need to leave our trees alive to do it as they are the only viable means of carbon capture and storage. This is sheer madness as burning this volume will release some 1.8 million tonnes of CO2 into the atmosphere each year to fuel climate heating, increased droughts, heat waves and more intense bushfires while increasing forest degradation and hastening species extinction. Our community needs to urgently speak up to stop the New South Wales and Commonwealth governments from allowing this environmental disaster. Platypus populations are in steep decline caused by new dams and climate change. This news has come to light after recent research by the University of New South Wales has revealed the platypus faces extinction because of habitat destruction, dams and weirs across their entire population distribution. Leandra Martinello is a spokesperson for the Rocky Creek Guardians. She has been out in the zone which is proposed to be flooded by the damming of Danoon and found juvenile platypuses there as recently as this morning. Leandra, thank you very much for joining Environmental as Anything today. The uh, Rocky Creek Guardians are concerned that the beloved platypus population of Rocky Creek near Lismore faces a grim future if the Danoon Dam is built. Uh, why is that such a threat to our uh, beloved platypuses? Yes, that's right. Uh, we know that of quite a few platypus that live in the Rocky Creek in the dam inundation area, uh, including actually saw a juvenile one this morning uh, that would be in a spot that would be flooded under 40 metres of water. Um, and we already knew that that would be, a, dams would be a threat to platypus, but this has come to rise after 
research by, Dr., uh, by Gillard Bino from the Uni of New South Wales has just come to light uh, explaining the risks of dams and water infrastructure to our platypus. Right, so there's a, a recent study from... Dr Gillard Bino from the Uni of New South Wales. And you've actually said you've, you saw platypuses there this morning. Is that what you just said? Yeah, that's right. So it's a, bit, a pretty good day. Went down this morning early to do a bit of a, a biological survey of plants and animals around the Rocky Creek area that would be inundated by the dam. And we were lucky enough to be able to watch a juvenile platypus feeding. Wow. That's, that's a great privilege. I think most of our listeners would be excited at the thought of being able to see juvenile platypuses anywhere. That's it. And I, you know, that is really special, actually, because there's a juvenile platypus around likely. That means that there's viable breeding platypus in the area. And to lose uh, breeding population is uh, just too risky when we're already looking at decreasing platypus population. So the threat of extinction, what is the platypus currently rated at? Is it, is it an endangered species? It's obviously a very special one for Australians. Funnily enough, it's actually not listed at all under the state or Commonwealth laws, but this research is, that has recently come to rise is suggesting otherwise. And we can say that that's true likely for many native plants and animals just because the research isn't there. It takes quite a bit of resources and bureaucratic process to get an animal or plant listed under those Commonwealth or state laws. That doesn't mean that the threats to them aren't very real still. So what do you want Rouse County Council to do now about this uh, this threat to the to the uh, platypus? Uh, we want them to cease spending any more money putting towards the dam. Uh, there are already existing studies on the cultural heritage impacts as well as the ecological impacts. And that's actually why the dam was knocked back in 2014. And we want Rouse to not spend any more money on doing further studies when the studies are already existing and they're saying it's just too risky and too damaging and too destructive to go ahead. What about the general public? What can the general public do to help save the uh, these platypus uh, that are threatened? Uh, you can jump on our website, www.waternorthernrivers.org, uh, and have a look for our, through our content there. We've got a list of actions. Um, contact your local council. Uh, contact the Rouse staff and the Rouse Council um, and you'll be able to find the contacts there if you can't find them otherwise on our website and let them know that you're concerned about the impacts of the dam on the platypus. Great work Leandra, I, look thank you for being out there looking out for, for the platypus, um, obviously uh, we all wish we could be there uh, in your shoes. Yeah well hopefully with enough care and support maybe one day the platypus population can actually increase and more of us uh, will be lucky enough to see them, although they are elusive. That was Landra Martinello, spokesperson for the Rocky Creek Guardians. The Narrabri Gas Project has just been approved on the beautiful land of the Gomorrah people in New South Wales a food producing region and water catchment for the Great Artesian Basin. The federal government wants a COVID gas lit recovery 
providing millions of dollars to the gas industry towards infrastructure, including pipelines. Lismore Knitting Nanas Against Gas and Lismore Extinction Rebellion groups joined in over 50 community groups across the country, joining in the National Day of Action, calling on Australian governments to abandon their fossil-fuelled fantasies and get behind the renewable prosperity we all need. Keep the carbon in the soil, no more gas, no more oil. Keep the carbon in the soil, no more gas, no more oil. Keep the carbon in the soil, no more gas, no more oil. Keep the carbon in the soil, no more gas, no more oil. Keep the carbon in the soil. What's going on here today? All right, I'm Judy Summers with the Knitting Nanners, and we've got a National Highway Action happening here. Um, fund our future, not, not gas. And we've split our nanners up. Some of them are over in uh, South Lismore uh, on the Casino Road. And we've basically got all these signs basically asking for the government to support renewables, put all their all our taxpayer money into renewables and not gas. This COVID-led gas recovery is insanity. It is. Yeah. It is. And this is a, um, an action that's sort of happening all over the country. It's a national highway action and it's just brilliant to be a part of it. There's so many different groups, so many different people all over the state, country. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a huge list on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. yeah fantastic. Very good. So and there's many. about 10 nanolists, which is brilliant. Wow. Yeah. 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 Well, good on you. Yeah. yeah. Have a good morning. Thanks to Naomi Shine for that report. Are you looking for the courage to face the hard facts about our environmental crises? Do you want honest reporting on the global solutions that are at our fingertips? Would you like to know what simple, effective local actions you can take to make a positive difference to the state of the world today? Tune in to Environmental As Anything on 92.9 River FM every Saturday from 2 to 5 for all the news, interviews and analysis you need to make the future you want. For the future, we're hand in hand.